Hi, everybody. This is Tony Khan, the producer and director of Morning Stories from WGBH in Boston. In today's podcast, we're going to bring you the second of three half-hour Morning Story radio programs that we produced earlier this year. For these shows, as you may remember, we search the archives for some of our favorite stories, not just because we think they're worth hearing again, but because when they are heard together like this, they seem to have even more to say. In today's program, we're going to hear about the fears that a child of privilege and an adopted child from an orphanage in China both kept secret from their parents. And we're going to hear the story of a father's love that his son is only beginning to understand. We call our program Time Will Tell. We are in Europe. I'm a 15-year-old boy. We're going from northern Italy, the mountains of northern Italy, to northern France to make the boat back. Ooh, we're screaming and yelling. Welcome to Morning Stories. I'm Tony Khan. Author Tom Cottle came to Morning Stories planning to tell us about his new book on his mother's career as a famous concert pianist. Instead, he ended up telling us this story about the silence between them all their lives. At each turn is a new ravine, a new crevice, a new precipice is the word I'm hunting for, of thousands of feet, way down. And I turn around from the front seat where I'm sitting, and I see my mother sitting between my father and my sister. Her hands are in her lap, and she's weeping. And I'm thinking, what a pathetic person. People pay millions of dollars to drive through the mountains of northern Italy. And my pathetic mother is so screwed up in her life that she's crying. She was a child prodigy, a great pianist who by seven was concertizing with orchestras and by 19 was, you know, an international sensation. her life. She was held back by these damnable demons. Resentment. Depression. My mother used to say to me, as my son, I have to love you, but I don't have to respect you. And her nostrils would flare. Then I would say something horrible back like, well, as your son, I don't have to love or respect you. She'd say, you just don't know the whole story. No, no, she'd say. You just don't know the whole story. And so I would come home. My mother would say, what happened at school today? Nothing. Three weeks later, she would find out that I was elected president of the student body. What happened at school today? Nothing. A month later, she would find out that I had pitched three no-hitters in a row. Did I want to talk? Oh, yes. So why didn't you? I knew... I really was being told, you're not to speak. And I keep coming back to that scene in the car. There's a rail strike, and to make the boat back, we're forced to either fly or to go by car. My mother has had a terrible car accident terrible. She's splattered on the highway near Gary, Indiana. 
hit by a car and literally flung out, no seat belts in those days, in a hospital for a year. She's phobic beyond all belief. She will not go by car. Her son, me, is phobic about air travel. She had made an amazing sacrifice for me. She had revisited that car accident, the trauma of her life. And I keep coming back, seeing her in the car, knowing that I'm lying to myself because it was better to sit and look at her and say, what a pathetic woman. How was I so cursed, whatever the heck I was thinking in the front seat, than to say, my God, what she does to me, that's a real sacrifice. Was there ever a thank you for that? Was there ever an acknowledgement of that? Never. Oh, now, I'm telling you, now there is... Now I miss her. Now I really miss her. Somebody asked me once, do you think she ever expressed her love for you through her music? I know that she did. That's right, she did. just don't know the whole story, she'd say. You just don't know the whole story. I'm here in the studio with Gary Mott. Soon after our podcast with Tom Cottle's story went out on the web, we got an email from a gentleman from Colombia named Eduardo Villamil. Like a number of listeners learning English as a second language, Eduardo had downloaded and listened to our story as a way of improving his English comprehension. But as the father of a young boy, Tom's story had also moved him in a personal way. He wrote, Hi, the other day I heard a story where the writer talked about seeing his mother cry in the back of a car in beautiful scenery in Europe. And it encouraged me to write a story about my son, hoping one day in the future, maybe in high school, my son can read it and understand what we felt for him when he was born. You know, Gary, I I read this and I I just think what an amazing gift Eduardo is giving his son, one that Mm. a parent rarely gives a kid, and I think maybe Tom's mother did not give him, and that's the, the experience of what you were like when your child was a kid and didn't know you as a human being. It can fill in such an enormous picture for a kid. So many wonderful discoveries are made on long car trips. I think back to Mm. trips that my father and I took uh, when I was young, just hour after hour, just the, the mere fact that we were sitting side by side and not necessarily needing to connect visually. I'm laughing because I can think of some trips that I took with my father when I started out young and came back old. (laughs) It it was tough. Well, not long ago, we got an email from a man named Mark Richmond in Ohio. He also had a story to tell about connecting with his father, Mm. as in Tom's case, long after his father had died. He writes, In 1988, I was a senior in high school. That February, my father died of heart disease. He was the owner of Servalunch, selling sandwiches, snacks, coffee, and cigarettes out of a step van to workers in the surrounding area. 
By the time I was born, he and his partner had a nice little thing going, about six trucks. In the 1980s, though, many of those factories closed, and so went his customer base. Now that I have a family of my own, I realize how much I still miss him. Sometimes I talk to my mother or brother or sister about him, hoping they'll relate a new story I haven't heard before. When that happens, it feels like he's come back to life. This past Saturday, my supervisor, Jack, rode with me on my route to supermarkets in my assigned territory. About two-thirds of the way through the route, I mentioned who my father was and what he did for a living. Jack said he thought he knew my dad when he used to deliver bread. He had heard a story about him from another driver. This story has been repeated many times among drivers and has become a bit of folklore. The driver came to my dad's business at a point when dad was behind on his bill, hoping to collect. My dad invited him in his office and said, Close the door. The driver nervously walked in and shut the door behind him. My dad, who was a deeply religious man, said, Let's pray. The driver said right then he knew he wasn't getting his money. I was overjoyed at having heard the story. It sounded exactly like something my dad would have done. It was as if he was reminding me to relax about the possibility of losing my job, my livelihood, and trust in my faith to help me through. It was three months before his sixth birthday that we adopted him. This kid had never been outside enough. He had never seen the moon. Jackie Lantry and her husband Steve adopted four children, each at a different age, from China. Each of those kids has an unforgettable story to tell about their passage from the world of their birth to the world of their family. When I took him for a walk that very first night, he excitedly, because he didn't speak... English, and I didn't speak Chinese, he excitedly tapped on my shoulder and was making these sort of guttural noises, mm, 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 and pointing, and he was pointing at the moon. And I, and I said, it's the moon, Lukey, it's the moon. And he reached for the moon. Some children up for adoption never make it to a family. One of the kids Jackie heard about in China faced heartbreaking odds. There's another kid, Wang Jun. Smart, goes to school, nothing wrong with him. He's just going to age out. In China, if you turn 14, you're no longer eligible for adoption. And I thought, he's going to be snapped up. And they said, no. People are afraid of his age. Nobody wants to adopt him. And I went to Steve, my husband, and we talked about it, and... We called them and said, if nobody's um, you know, interested, we are. So we start all the paperwork. We don't have a lot of time. And I get a call from the agency in the summertime. The Chinese government has decided they're not going to allow older kids to be adopted anymore. You can't have Wang Jun. There were two pictures, one on a playground near a slide, and he's just kind of looking out, and one 
looks like a hallway with a lot of windows. And he's got that orphanage vacant stare. And I thought, you know, if we don't do it, nobody will. And I, you know, looked up the China government affairs adoption something or other. So I said, uh, you know, uh, I'll, I'll just go talk to them. We'll go see them. And they'll see things my way. Steve looks at me, and I, it just shakes his head. This has international incident written all over Jackie. So I said, uh, if you're behind me, I'd like to try. And he said, okay. So myself and two girlfriends, we get on a plane, and I had, you know, I, I Googled China Center for Adoption Affairs and found out who the head of it was, and I hire a translator, hop over to this big gated thing, and... Uh, we go up to a window, and I said, um, my name's Jackie, and I want to see so-and-so. He says, what time is your appointment? And I said, I don't have an appointment. <laughs> they said that I could have a boy named Jack, and I have his picture, and I held him, and now they say I can't, and I want to talk about it. And he just looked at me and broke out in a cold sweat. You know, I, they don't get requests like this over there. So um, they actually found an underling for me to talk to, and... Uh, we go and we meet in this room, and I have the gifts, and I have all the deferential statements, and I've read them to her in Chinese, and, you know, and I explain everything, and I tell her they've said that I could have this kid, and now they say I can't, and I don't want another kid. I want this one. Could you change your mind? My heart was sinking, and we got up to leave, and I turned around, and I took out his picture. And I said, when you sent me this picture, this is like an ultrasound for a mother. This is my first picture of my son. And I don't think you understand. He's my son. How can you say no? He'll never get a family. And I started crying. I come from a raucous, Irish Catholic clan. And I just thought, if I don't do this, nobody can. My dad was a construction worker, iron worker. My mom kept the house, no washer and dryer. We didn't have a telephone. We had one bicycle and everybody, and it was because I won it. My dad used to love the stock car races and, and they always gave away a bike and I won the bike. You know, eight kids jumping up and down. Yay, we won the bike. And do you know, if I have a problem in the world, it's they're the people that I, I really turn to. Timmy, Kathy, Suzanne, Billy, it's, you know, they're still holding my hands. With family, you can make anything happen. Oh, Jack, he had, you know, three or four weeks to get a family. This is my last chance to get him. I'll leave this room thinking I could have begged. So I begged. I cried and begged the woman to let me have my son. She gave me a business card. 
and, and walked out. And I went home and I said to Steve, I, I don't think we're gonna get him. Two weeks later, I get a call from the adoption agency. If you can get back there in two weeks before he turns 14, you can have him. Go get him. I wrote her a letter. I told her we'd be there within the two-week time. And uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Four years, four years ago. I never heard from her again. I would tell her she created a son, a brother, a nephew. She created a grandson. You know, the, the little pebble of kindness that she threw into the water has made ripples that are going on and on and on and on. I later found out that all the boys 14 and older in that orphanage were shipped to a factory. And they live in a dorm, and they work in a factory, and they go live in the dorm, and they work in the factory, and they go back to the dorm ad infinitum. Sometimes when he dreams, he'll say things in Chinese. Um, and sometimes I can tell it's not a good dream. And I'll, I'll go into his room and if it looks like he's sort of working something out, I'm not going to interfere. If he ever looks out of control or terrified, I would wake him up. Just, you know, you're okay, Jack, Jack, wake up, Jack, you're okay. Mom's here, it's okay. And he just goes back to bed. You know, it was shortly after that that he confessed to us. I have a family in China. They told me they'll come and get me if I ever tell you. He was abandoned when he was nine. It's illegal to abandon a child in China. And it's illegal to have a child adopted if they know the family. And he knew his family. For Jack, it's double jeopardy. If I tell them the truth, the Chinese will come and get me and, and my birth family. What's gonna happen to my birth family? There was a very formal kind of kid who walked into our life. Somebody who would shake your hand and not hug you. Um, somebody who um, was very nice and polite, but not warm. It still feels a little awkward when he hugs but he does it, and I know he's, like, loving it. You know? Tony, my nephews are adopted, and I remember when my brother and sister-in-law were deciding whether or not to adopt. Hmm. They asked me specifically about these two boys, African-American boys. You know, should we do this? 
and I remember pausing for a long time. That always bothered me. Why did I pause? If you had to give words to that pause, what would they be? There's a racial difference here. Who knows the kind of problems that may crop up as these boys grow older? Mm -hmm. Problems of identity, of feeling out of place. Well, the, the thing that bothered me about the fact that I paused, we're talking about two human beings that would otherwise not have a home. And should my brother and sister-in-law have done this? Did they do it? Yes, mm-hmm. of course. And They're... what kind of uncle did they have in you? <laughs> they have an uncle who loves them unconditionally and loves to wrestle. <laughs> so, you know, well, I, there you... I think I'm okay in their book. And I venture to say also an uncle who is going to be honest about a, a tough moment in his life and who can now let that silence speak a little bit. Listen, having silences speak is kind of partly what we're in the business of doing, it seems to me, <laughs> to get stories out as, as, as honestly as, as we can or as honestly as they're willing to come out. So I, I, I thank you for being willing to even touch on that, Care. Yeah. Remember Eduardo Villamil, the man from Colombia who emailed us after hearing Tom Cottle's story about his mother? Well, Eduardo mentioned that he had been inspired by Tom to write a story about his son, a story that, like Tom's, revealed more and more the further back in time he looked. He called it, You Just Don't Know the Whole Story, borrowing a phrase that Tom had attributed to his mother. We called up Eduardo in Atlanta, where he now lives with his family, and asked him if he'd be willing to read his tale. Hello, Eduardo. Can you hear me, Eduardo? Yeah, I can hear you. Eduardo, I wonder if you'd be kind enough to read the story that you wrote after hearing the story that we told on Morning Stories. Tony, it would be my pleasure. How come you're not very nervous? I'm trying to avoid that. (laughs) (laughs) Try to not think about it. The other day, I was watching my oldest son, Nicholas, playing a soccer game. He's five years old. As he was heading with the ball down the field, it looked like a group of players from the opposite team was going to intercept the ball from him. But all of a sudden, Nicholas stopped with the ball, and the other players stopped as well. He looked at the other players, and no one moved for maybe 10 seconds. Then one of the players stepped forward, and it was just at that moment that Nicholas kicked the ball and passed it right over the player's head. It was such a nice trick for a five-year-old. All the parents said, wow, like in a unison. One of the mother even said to me that he will be a good soccer player as his father. She just didn't know the whole story. I'm a lousy soccer player. I also heard another parent saying, it seems like too much backyard training. He just didn't know the whole story story either. At that time, we were living in a high-rise condominium, so we didn't have a backyard to play in. It was in that high-rise that I saw him taking his first step. My wife was holding on to him, and when she gently released his hand, he took his first step. To us, it was like walking on the moon. The moment was so special to us that we both started to cry. If you had been there, you would have said, oh yeah, that's part of the joy of parenthood. 
understand your child taking this first step. You just didn't know the whole story. My son had to wear braces and cast the first year of his life. Being just a newborn, he couldn't move or roll because the cast was too heavy for him. Then when he was five months old, he underwent surgery as well. The doctor sat down with us and told us that it will be normal for our son to have a very skinny leg because the cast had been on for so long. The doctor just didn't know the whole story. My wife had been very determined to help him stay healthy and get good nutrition, so she breastfeed him to help him overcome all of this. You can imagine how surprised the doctor was when he removed the cast and saw this big, chubby legs in our little boy. We were so happy that day, as happy as the day when we were going to the hospital to await Nicholas' birth. Then, I was the happiest person in the world. I was going to have my first child. We had waited seven years for him. I just didn't know the whole story. After many hours of intense labor in the delivery room, I could tell from the doctor's face that something was wrong. He asked everyone except me to step out of the room and then told me that the baby was having problems. The umbilical cord was around the neck and his face was down instead of up. But finally the baby was delivered safely and put into the warmth of the incubator. He was so precious. And it was such a relief to have his birth over with. I didn't know the whole story. Nicholas was born with a condition called club foot, where the foot points down instead of to the front and inward. When I became aware of it, I had such a strange feeling come over me. I was so happy to see him, my own blood. But at the same time, I was so worried about him. All I could do at the time was to wrap the baby up and pass him over to my wife, intending this way to avoid having her suffer, at least to delay it for a moment. But she immediately unwrapped him and saw his condition. It was an intense moment, filled with pain, sadness, and happiness all blended in together. We just didn't know the whole story. Have you read that story to your son? Yeah, uh, he heard the story when I was reading to my wife. It was funny because my wife started to cry. And later he said, oh, that's the story about me playing soccer, that I'm very good at soccer. So far, I think he's he's in the first paragraph of the story. (laughs) He's in chapter one, where he fakes the other team out completely. That's right. Right? Nobody sees the whole picture. Right. I hope that that will help somebody that had the same issue that I had. When you find any problem in the life of your kid, you expect to have an answer. It doesn't matter how big or small the problem is. But you want to see the whole picture. You want to see the life of your son at the end. But it's, it's, it's not possible at that moment. And this is kind of the first 
the first part of of the picture. Yeah. Eduardo, give our best to uh, to your family and to your son, and to tell him that uh, I thought it was an incredible story about what a wonderful soccer player he is. <laughs> I will tell him that. Okay. Thank be, you, Tony. Be well, Eduardo. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Our thanks to everyone who's told us their story and who's written in reply, and to Magnatune.com for providing some of the music used in this program. Our website is wgbh.org slash morningstories. Spend some time with stories. They'll do some good. Assistant producer for Morning Stories is Gary Mott. The producer of this broadcast is Melena Spitzer. I'm Tony Kahn. Morning Stories is a production of WGBH Boston. And this week, the result of unforgettable moments in northern Italy, the nation of Colombia, the states of Georgia and Ohio, and Beijing. Join us soon for more stories from your neighbors around the world. I don't speak Chinese, and they're happy about that. I'm pretty sure they're saying things like, you know, when they fall asleep, you go down and get the cookies and we'll, you know, watch a video or something <laughs> you know, to each other. And I don't know what they're talking about, so...